Good morning, church. It's good to be with you all today on this beginning of Advent. This sermon is doing kind of double duty. It is both the finish of the beginning and the end series and the start of Advent. And the reason that that can happen is because Revelation finishes with a word of hope, an ultimate hope. And Advent begins with this word of hope. So I'm excited about um, what God is doing and will do in our midst today. Now, the whole book of Revelation was really meant to give hope. It was spoken and written to a people on the margin. Believers that were following Jesus in a world that was not so much. And John is writing into their lives saying things are hard and will get harder, but continue to be faithful, continue to be committed. Continue to press in and follow Jesus because it looks like Rome is winning now. It looks like evil, oppression, and injustice will go on forever. But John reminds them that they will not. Babylon will not go on forever. We are in the midst of new creation. We are in the midst of bringing that new creation into this world, and God will be faithful to bring it. We are at the end of Revelation, and it has been a good and fun and interesting journey, and I've been able to talk to many of you one-on-one. I've been able to be in life groups answering questions, and understanding Revelation will probably carry on past today itself. Um, it is a rich book that is not easy to understand, but if you do have more questions, you want to talk about it, we welcome that discussion. All right, back at the beginning of this series, the beginning, we started in Genesis. We started with creation. God made everything, and we are made in his image. And there's this blessing that God gives upon his creation, and he says that it is good. And this journey starts with his creation of heavens and earth. This is always the pairing in scripture, heaven and earth, and we were singing about it today. This image is not a new one for us. We've been using this image over the last couple of years, and it describes this overlap, and it describes the beginning of the creation in heaven and earth where everything is as it should be. It was good. We're created in that image. It's the beginning of this story. The good news starts in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created God created Eden, the garden, and this garden is really a symbol of his temple, of his dwelling place, where he communes and has relationship with his creation. It's a place for both God and humanity to reside together, to be in relationship together. God creates us as image bearers. He creates us to reflect his image And we are given two responsibilities, a kingly responsibility. We're invited to rule over the earth. And humanity is also given a priestly responsibility to take care of the earth. These two images, these two responsibilities, both kingly and priestly, to rule over and to take care of, to bring God's flourishing out into the world, not just in the garden, but the garden is supposed to expand, bringing culture, organization, art, Commerce, invention. God invites us to be co-creators with him. He invites Adam and Eve into that process, and he invites us into that process as well. So we are co-rulers and co-creators with God. We have a role. We make decisions. 
God delegates some of his authority to us for that mission because we're reflecting his image into the world when we do that. So our relationship with God, what we're called into, is not just singing songs, not just praying. It's the work that we do. This kingly and priestly responsibility is out into the world, reflecting God out into his creation. Now, the mission was for the garden to expand and to fill the whole earth, but we know that that plan gets ruptured with what we call the fall. We see evil and sin begin to creep into creation. Adam and Eve cover themselves. Sin and shame are now a part of their reality. There's a rupture between this heaven and earth space. All of a sudden, not everything that is happening as is God planned, but sin and evil enter, and there is this breaking apart of heaven and earth. But God's mission has not changed. It's still to bring his flourishing, his goodness out into the world. Now, it doesn't take long in the story to see the effects of sin and shame. We see this in Genesis 4.16. Then Cain went from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain killed his brother Abel. We see the beginning of relationships coming apart, both with us and God and with one another. But God's plan has not changed, and he begins his rescue plan, first to Israel, then to the whole of the world. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham, calls his people to bring his heaven on earth. And we see this image all the way back in Isaiah. Isaiah says it this way, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth, The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Now, we know what happens to God's chosen people in the Old Testament. They fall away. They are exiled. They are conquered. They have not become a blessing to all nations. In fact, they have become a part of the problem. So at the end of the Old Testament, the question is, when will Yahweh return? How will this look? And the New Testament doesn't start with a new plot line. It starts with season two of God's rescue plan. Now, Matthew starts with the genealogy. Same with Luke. And genealogies for us are maybe not very exciting, the long list of names and what do they mean. But Matthew goes, his genealogy goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham. He's connecting God's mission all the way back to Abraham. Luke begins his genealogy all the way back to Adam. This new creation, God's mission has not changed. And then Jesus is on the scene. So hope is the theme of the book. Hope is today's Advent theme. And first and primarily, what we need to understand is hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. Our hope is not in wishful thinking. Our hope is not in circumstances getting better. Our hope is grounded in the reality of who Jesus is. And this is part of Jesus' restoration plan. That our relationships are restored with God, that our relationships are restored with one another, that our lives begin to look like Jesus that our systems begin to look like how God would have them be, our governments, our businesses, our schools, our churches, 
There's a new heaven and a new earth that God is in the process of bringing. Jesus prays for this new heaven and new earth in the Lord's prayer, finishing his prayer with, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we bear witness to that. We get to be a part of living out that reality of things coming together. This is a quote we've used um, several times in this series, and and I love it because it, it paints sort of this beautiful arc of where the story is from Genesis to Revelation, this creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And this is the quote, it is the only story that explains the way things were, how they were created in the garden, this overlap of heaven and earth, the way things are, the fall. We can look around in our world and see things are not as they should be. But it doesn't stop there. The way things could be, redemption, we get pictures of redemption in our world as well. And ultimately, the way things will be, restoration, which is where we're landing this plane today in Revelation. And that brings us to kind of the second important aspect of hope. Hope is also honest. Hope is honest. We can see, if we go back to this one here, we can see that things are not as they should be. There are wars, there's poverty, there's anxiety, there's fear, there's loneliness. But our hope does not depend on the denial of reality. It's not sort of this wishful thinking idea or pretending things aren't that bad. Hope starts with a real, honest assessment of the way things are in this world, in our lives. You know, I love the Advent season itself. Um, I love the songs. I love just this anticipation of the birth. But Advent can be a really difficult time for people. If you've lost somebody this year, it's hard to go through that first season of Advent wondering and missing the person that you were usually celebrating with. It's a season where most the highest rates of depression and anxiety emerge. And so being honest with where you are at is an important part to our hope journey. But we also know that we can experience the way things could be. We get to see pictures of redemption. We can see how heaven breaks into creation right now. We can see compassion in the midst of war. We can see generosity in the face of greed. We can see love in the midst of hate. And when we're honest with ourselves about how things are, we can also be honest about seeing these sprouts of new life and being a part of that happening. So Revelation ends with this wonderful mixing of heaven and earth. Let's jump into our passage. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that you bring. I pray that you help us to understand and to live out your words today. Amen. So Revelation 21, 1 to 5 says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. So this is not a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. This is a renewed earth. There's two words in Greek for new. Neos means brand new. Uh, Kainos means it existed before. There's a new quality to it. And that's the word that's used here. 
There was no longer any sea. Sea is an image of chaos, of of darkness, and so there's no sea in this new creation. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And this has been the verse that has been on our stage here for the past year or so. I am making all things new, not new things, renewing all things. That means us. It's like Tycoon, the old police facility um, up on the escalator there. It was made new. So now instead of prison cells and a place of hardship, it's a place of cafes, a place of hanging out, a place to learn, a place to relax, all things new. And this is where we get to be in the midst of that testifying and being a part of those new things. See, our lives matter right here, right now. Our relationship with God, with others, with creations, with the systems that we are in, how we live matters. The journey started in the Garden of Eden, this place of God's temple, his dwelling place. But it ends not in a garden, it ends in in a city, the new Jerusalem. We can relate to cities. We can get the buzz of cities. It's not a going back to nature. It's, it's welcoming this new city that comes to us. Scott McKnight says it this way. He says, John's new Jerusalem is not in another world, but in this world, housing the kingdom of God. It's God's kingdom coming to us, not us going to it. Now, what will heaven uh, be like? What will this new Jerusalem be like? What will new creation be like? All words um, describing the same thing. And we were talking a little bit about this yesterday in the men's group. So we need to bring a little bit of humility to our interpretation because there's a lot that is not said about how things will really be like. In Romans 21.8, just a few verses past our passage, there's still this lake of fire that's mentioned. There's warning to those outside the city about the fiery fiery lake. Now, we thought that was all dealt with in chapter 20, that that was the end of the fiery lake, but here we are. Somehow, it seems to still be with us. Now, is this connected to a verse we're going to get to later, that the gates of the new city, of New Jerusalem, are not closed? That there's always an ability to come into that city or maybe even to leave? We don't know. We were talking yesterday about what does it look like when we are in heaven, in this new creation? Do we still have free will to choose a bad choice, to choose evil, to choose to sin? Because there will be no evil in this new city. Is there a passing back and forth? You know, scripture is is vague on that. And so we can't really say how that will look. Will we be so enthralled with the beauty of God with his presence, that all lesser choices sort of fall away, 
that we're just drawn to who he is. And, and somehow, in, in God's sort of mysterious way, we are freely choosing that again and again and again. The answer is we don't exactly know. We know where we're going to end up, but how will that look? We're not sure. So we bring some humility to our interpretation of the text. When I was a kid and our church was describing like what heaven looked like, they talked about streets of gold, they talked about mansions, and they talked about like going to church every day, 24-7 church service. As a six-year-old, I was like, yeah, I'll take a pass on that. Like, I can think of a lot better things I would like to do with my time. Now, I knew I didn't want to go to the fiery lake, uh, but heaven wasn't that appealing to me, to be honest. I don't think it's going to be a 24-7 worship service. We get a picture of what it will be like later on in chapter 21 here, saying this, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And no day, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. So this is the rulers of the earth. We talked about them last Sunday in terms of evil going into the fire, right? These nations going into the fire. But here we are having all the nations back, but they're somehow redeemed. They are bringing their splendor into it, the, their glory into the city. The kings, the nations are all bringing it in. What does that mean? Uh, Richard Mao was the president of Fuller Seminary when I was there, and he comments on it, and he says this, rather than destroying the artifacts and creations of pagan cultures, God will transform and redeem them for his glory. So when the kings come marching in, when the nations come marching in, they're bringing the best of what they have created. They're bringing the best from their culture. This final vision is a one where a city is filled with God's presence, but, but not just God's presence, not just his creation, but ours as well. There's beautiful architecture. There's redeemed people. There's redeemed cultures. Now, we could debate what parts of culture, uh, what parts of the things in our world will make it in, what types of music. If you're a classical music lover, you're probably thinking, yes. Um, and Taylor Swift, will her music make it in? I don't know. What football will make it in? Will it be kind of the world's vision of football, American version? Of, I don't know. But the best of our creation here, this original calling to co-create, looks like it's all making it in. The best of, transformed, imagining all of the things that we're involved with, but transformed, the best of our education and what that looks like. The best of flourishing the best of relationships, the best of art, of our systems, somehow being transformed and bringing that into this new Jerusalem. I think one thing is for sure that I'll need to look for a new job in heaven. I don't think there'll be a need for pastors, uh, for evangelists, for those of you that are doctors, I think probably need to look for a new profession as well. I don't think there'll be sickness. Um, but I think we'll be doing stuff. We'll be engaged just as God originally called Adam and Eve to be about these kingly and priestly responsibilities. I think we will still have those things to do. Now, this vision of heaven, I think, carries two implications. This from Sky Jathani. He says this, 
First, it means any vision of eternity as a never-ending worship service is completely wrong. I was relieved to, to read that. In the age to come, there will be entertainment, commerce, technology, and discovery. And I think that's true. So it brings us to our final point of what hope is. Hope is also active. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's not dependent upon our circumstances. It's honest about how things really are, but how things could be. And it's also active. It's not passive. What we do now can matter for eternity. How we spend our time, what we're working towards, can have eternal implications. But this also reflects the heart of God. It reflects how he rules. It takes us to the beginning of the story where we are co-creators with God, co-rulers with God. He's not doing all of these things for us. He wants us to be a part of this creation using the gifts, the talents, the experiences that we have. He shares rulership with us, and this is highlighted in so many places in Scripture. I'll just look at three. It's highlighted in Revelation 3 itself. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. This is the faithful followers of Jesus sharing the throne with him. In Ephesians 2, 6, Paul says it this way, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Again, sitting on this throne, co-ruling with God. And then finally, in the very last chapter of Revelation, Revelation 22, 5, There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. It takes humility to share the throne, and yet this is what God does. He invites us into this reality, this co-creating, this co-rulership. He's sharing this with us, and that's an incredible responsibility. I don't know if you think about how you're living your life right now in terms of co-creating, co-ruling with God, but he reflects we reflect his image. This is how much we mean to him is that he has created us in his image to reflect that image out into the world, to bring the best of who we are, whether that's in the workplace or in the community or in the church itself. Heaven is is not about sort of going up and leaving earth. It's about God coming down. So hope is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And we get to um, celebrate that this season of Advent, celebrating that Jesus was incarnate. Jesus stepped down to be with us, to take this journey. We put our hope in him because he is faithful. Hope is honest. When you come into the doors each Sunday, (laughs) my hope is not that you sort of forget about all your problems and live in kind of this bubble for an hour, but it's to bring all of those things with you. You're not meant to carry them alone. You're meant to carry them to Jesus, to be yoked to him. He tells us that his yoke is not heavy, that it is light. We're not meant to carry the things of the world on our own. So be honest with yourselves when things are hard. And hope is active. It works best when we're engaged with it when we're co-creating with God, 
when we're living out our faith in this world. And we get to celebrate that journey today and through Advent about the ultimate hope giver, Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you were not far off, that you are not distant, that you are not uncaring towards creation, God, but you are always showing up in the garden, in the incarnation, and today with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we celebrate your arrival. We know that our hope, ultimate hope lies in you, not in the world around us, not when things are going sideways, but in who you are, the ultimate hope giver. So we celebrate who you are and we celebrate what you have done in this world. In your name we pray, amen.